It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Those are the famous opening words of um, a novel by Charles Dickens called A Tale of Two Cities. And the story moves back and forth between two cities. One is London, enjoying a time of peace and elegance at the end of the 18th century, and the other is Paris in the grip of the, the reign of terror during the French Revolution. With a constant rumble of tumbrils taking victims to Madame la Guillotine. Two different times in a way, although they were at the same time, they were just in different places. So let me ask you a question. What sort of time are we living in? Here in East Malsey. And what sort of time are other people living in, in different parts of the world? Just think about that for a bit. We'll come back to it later. So let me ask another question. What sort of time was Philip li living in? The Philip who we heard about in our reading. Let me give you a bit of context. After Pentecost, the church in Jerusalem was filled with the Spirit, and they were on fire with love for Jesus and love for other people. For the first disciples, it must have felt like a golden age. They had moved from the despair and the darkness of the crucifixion to the wonder and the uncertainty of the resurrection, and now they were suddenly out into a time of sunshine and joy and amazement. What would it have felt like, do you think, for them? Can you imagine yourself there among the disciples during those days after the day of Pentecost? They were days of miracle and wonder. People were being healed. People were being saved. It was a time of phenomenal growth in numbers of the church. It was a time of awesome worship, fellowship, sharing, and love. It was also a time of protection. You even had an angelic jailbreak in the middle of it. You had hostile authorities who seemed confused and unable, impotent to stop them. What would you do with a golden time of fellowship and worship? Have you been in times like that? What did you do with the golden times of wonderful Christian worship and fellowship? Well, the early church responded by a love that went out. They shared the joy and they invited others in. That's what they did. And it continued like that for a period. And then suddenly things changed. Disaster struck. Stephen was arrested. He was tried. He was stoned to death. And we read in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Let me ask you another question. What do you think it would feel like to flee for your life? I don't know if there are any people here who've had a flee for their life. Flee because of war, 
famine, flood, fire, or maybe because you're a follower of Jesus. There are people all over the world who are having to flee for their lives. Just think of some of the images you've seen on television in the last year or two. Think about being there. What would you take? Where would you go? Imagine disaster falling on you. What would you do? But when we read on, we realize that even in the disaster, the Holy Spirit was still at work. As the disciples were scattered across Judea and Samaria, they spoke to people about Jesus. The fire that had been lit in Jerusalem started to spread. They were Jesus' witnesses, and they were fulfilling his final prophecy. Do you remember Acts chapter 1, verse 8? Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's what they were doing. As they went, they told people about Jesus. And so we come to the story of Philip. It's a story of the way that times of disaster and difficulty can become times of opportunity when we open ourselves to being led by the Spirit. You know, Philip, like Stephen, who we heard about a couple of weeks ago from Toby, was one of the seven. They were chosen to take pressure off the apostles uh, by overseeing the distribution of food to the needy Greek-speaking widows uh, who were being neglected. It was a sort of mundane task. Somebody had to do it. They wanted people who were, you know, scrupulous and uh, were also not going to over overlook certain people. They were chosen because they were gifted, because they were full of the spirit and wisdom. And also, they were humble, willing to serve and to tackle some unglamorous tasks. They were willing to do the dirty work that nobody else wanted to do. Have you ever met people who are very gifted but not very humble? Not ideal for church work. You also get people who are humble but not gifted, but let's not talk about that. Um, so Toby called them the Servant Seven, and that's a good, a good name for them, willing to serve. When Philip was forced to flee from Jerusalem, we can see from what he did that he was willing not only to serve, but to obey and to be led by the Spirit. Because Philip didn't flee to Judea, which would have been a safe and familiar Jewish environment. He would have felt at home there. He would have known you know, the, the type of people. They would have accepted him. But instead, he chose the road less traveled by, the road to Samaria. Now, we sort of have an idea of Samaritans as good people because of the parable of the Good Samaritan. And, I mean, Samaritans were okay, but actually uh, there was a tension between Jews and Samaritans. 
And that's because the Samaritans were a sort of a semi-Jewish group of people. They were a mixture of the, the people who were left behind when the Assyrians took all the 10 tribes of the Northern Kingdom off into exile, but they left some people in the land to look after it. And a whole lot of other people from other parts of the Assyrian Empire who were brought in and forcibly resettled there because it was a policy of the Assyrians and then later of the Babylonians to try and destroy national identity, to mix people up so they wouldn't be a, a cohesive patriotic nationalist group who would rebel. They were a sort of group who were trying to find who they were. But they did have some sort of um, semblance of the worship of, of the God of Israel because they'd asked some priests to come and explain stuff to them because they were being um, terrorized by lions and uh, they thought they'd offended the God of the land and they'd better learn about this God. But it, you know, they were, they were definitely uh, not kosher Jews according to the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees in Jerusalem. And, you know, strict Torah-observant Jews looked down on them with horror and loathing. And the Samaritans reacted quite naturally with resentment and hostility. And generally, when Jews went from Galilee to Judea, or vice versa, they would tend to avoid Samaria because that was a hostile area. But Philip went to Samaria. Philip, full of the full of the Holy Spirit, went to Samaria with boldness and love, bringing them the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Messiah not just of the people of Israel, but the Messiah for all people. He brought them the news that Jesus was the light of the world, the hope of all nations, and he could be their Messiah too. And Philip's message was accompanied by powerful signs and wonders, healing the paralyzed and the lame, and casting out evil spirits. He was following the pattern that Jesus had given his disciples. It was preaching the word and also healing the sick. And that is a powerful combination. And many Samaritans believed in Jesus as their Messiah, and they were baptized. And when the apostles in Jerusalem heard this amazing news that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John down there to invest, up there to investigate. And Peter and John found this thriving church, but they weren't yet full of the Spirit. They hadn't yet received the Holy Spirit. So they prayed for them, laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And they formed another joyful, worshipping community. And it became the first non-Jewish church, the church in Samaria. Now, think about Philip. How would he have felt? Would he have thought that that was it? He'd fulfilled his mission. He'd helped to establish another spirit-filled community who worshiped Jesus, just like the one he'd been part of in Jerusalem after Pentecost. Great. I've done what I was meant to do. Have you ever felt that you've reached a happy and a comfortable situation? A place where you could sit back 
and enjoy the results of all your good work. You could put your feet up and take it easy. Be honest, probably we, some of us have. But the Holy Spirit had other plans for Philip. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. You know, sometimes the Holy Spirit may do that in our lives as well, calling us to leave a place of achievement, of well-earned rest, to go elsewhere, to go to a desert road. Has that ever happened to you? The Lord calling you out of a comfortable situation, taking you somewhere, and it's a desert road, a place where you are alone, alone in the heat and the dust, alone with your thirst and hunger, not sure why you're here, not sure where you're going. I mean, I've sometimes stood actually on a desert road and it's just like nothing. There's nothing there. There's nobody traveling. It's just like, how long do I have to wait here? Somebody's meant to pick me up, but they aren't. But actually for Philip, it was like, why am I here? He went there. But on that desert road, Philip was given a new mission. The opportunity to share the gospel with someone from the ends of the earth. Do you remember that verse? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This was someone from Ethiopia, which in those days were the Nubian kingdom south of Egypt, on the upper reaches of the Nile, slightly different to the present-day uh, country of Ethiopia, but in a similar place. This man was an important official, an important government official, and he was in charge of the royal treasury. He was sort of equivalent to the Chancellor of the Exchequer in Britain. He had quite a powerful position, but he was also a God-fearer. He was someone who had come to worship the God of Israel. And he'd gone up to, to Jerusalem for one of the festivals to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in the chariot reading this new scroll that he'd bought. He was probably a reasonably wealthy man, so he could afford to buy a scroll. He was reading the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And when Philip obeyed, his heart must have leapt for joy because he heard the words of Isaiah 53, which is probably the most famous messianic prophecy in the whole of the Old Testament. And this man was reading it. I'll read you a bit, a bit longer than the bit that's in our Bible reading. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, 
For the transgression of my people he was punished. You know, the, that passage, Isaiah 53, has been instrumental in more Jewish people coming to faith in the Messiah in this last century than any other passage in the whole of the Old Testament. When people come across that passage, they suddenly realize, who is this? Who is this man that's been talked about? So Philip said to the Ethiopian, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now that is an amazing opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. You don't often come across opportunities that often where people say, ah, oh, I wonder about this. Would you want to explain it to me? Anyway, Philip had that opportunity. And really, it's obvious this was no chance encounter. It was a meticulously prepared encounter by the Holy Spirit, prepared in every small detail. I mean, the fact that he was reading from Isaiah, for one thing, the fact that Philip was there, and also, as they traveled, and Philip had explained the gospel, and he was believing in Jesus, they spotted a pool of water. And the chap said, what's to stop me getting baptized right here? The pool was there, ready. And um, that's Holy Spirit planning. Anyway, let me ask you a question. Have you ever sometimes experienced on a desert road the sense that you're not alone, that the Lord is with you, that he's guiding you, that he's providing for you and sheltering you, that he's preparing the ground before you, and that he has a plan in all of it. Have any of you had that experience? When you feel desolate, you feel alone, you feel, where's, what's the sense of all of this? And then as you pray about it, as you open yourself to God, as you bring your situation to him, you start to realize, the Lord is here, he has a plan in all of this, he has something for me to do. So, Philip baptized the Ethiopian treasurer. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. And you know, the present-day churches in Ethiopia trace their roots to that Spirit-led encounter on a desert road 2,000 years ago. The final verse in our passage is quite interesting. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus. Now that's a town on the Mediterranean um, coast. It's now called Ashdod. It's just a bit south of Tel Aviv. And he traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Now Philip must have settled in Caesarea because later on in Acts, we learn that Luke spent some time with him there while he was traveling with Paul on his way to Jerusalem. That final visit that Paul made to Jerusalem where he got arrested. And I'll read you the passage. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. <clears throat> After we'd been there a number of days, <clears throat> a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. So Philip must have settled, got married, 
had these four amazing daughters who prophesied. But the interesting thing really is it must have been during those days in Caesarea that Luke had the opportunity to learn firsthand about Philip, about his story, about his encounter with the Ethiopian treasurer. And that's how we know about it. <clears throat> anyway, coming back to all of us here, what sort of time are we living in? Just think about it. What sort of time are we living in? You know, it does seem as if we've been going through almost continuous crises. We had the Brexit crisis, which divided the nation. Then we, no sooner was that over than we had the COVID pandemic, which locked us in our houses for ages. No sooner had that finished than then the, we had the invasion of Ukraine. And the result of all that stuff was rising oil and gas prices, inflation, a cost of living crisis. And all of this is within the sort of cloud of doom hanging over us of the climate crisis. Global warming, famines, floods, wildfires, rising sea levels. What sort of time are we living in? Is it a worrying time? Was it a time of opportunity? None of us yet are having to flee from our homes, but people around the world are. And you know, when we think about problems, if you watch too much news, you can feel overwhelmed and hopeless. What can we do? How can we make any difference in the world? But you know, as we look at the story of Philip, we see that Times of difficulty and even disaster can become times of opportunity. The Lord can have something he wants each one, each one of us to do if we open ourselves to being led by the Spirit. As a church and as individuals, we can ask, what is God doing in our time? Where is he leading us? What does he want us to do? Does he want to step out beyond our comfort zones? Does he want us to take a road less traveled? To take a desert road? To speak to people we wouldn't normally speak to? Because you know, the result of one person hearing the good news about Jesus may be far bigger than we can imagine. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for your love for each one of us. And I thank you for Philip and his faithfulness and his obedience. Lord, I ask that in these troubling times that we live in, that you would give us a vision. Help us to be open to your leading, to go where you want us to go, to speak to the people you direct us to. And help us, Lord, to be agents of change, change for good, to help to bring people hope and the good news of Jesus. Lord, I pray this in, in your precious and holy name. Amen.